the message I have tonight is going to be a little different, um, but not crazy different, but just a little bit different than probably a normal message, so you've got to bear with me here. I'm going to get to a point by the time we're finished, but I want to open up and start in Ezekiel, if I get there. Ezekiel chapter 23. Not 23, 33, sorry. Before I read, um, the message has kind of spawned off of something that happened in 2007. I believe it was during anniversary days, but I could be wrong. Um, I believe Brother Whitaker had come out and was preaching for us. And he had a special Saturday night, Saturday um, teaching for the leaders, leadership of the, of the church. And he had this little pamphlet-like thing here called you Set Your Sails for Revival, and it was in 2007. Um, I'm, not com- I'm not preaching off this, but there is something in here that I read, and it's just amazing how God sometimes just puts things on a person's heart in different ways. And I want to get to that, and this is kind of, I want, I want to talk about something that I, that's in this in here, in this pamphlet, book, booklet, whatever we want to call it. And I, I'm also going to be talking about some historical things too. So, if Ezekiel chapter 33, let's start with verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast, and sets him for their watchmen, If when he seeth a sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman seeth the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Now I can continue on and we go continuing on. We understand the spiritual situation here as well, and what Ezekiel was called to do when it came to the children of Israel, warning them of their sins and judgment. That, that's not where I want to go tonight. When we read these, we see that God was talking about something called a watchman. What's a watchman supposed to do? Watch and give a warning. And that's, and let me, let's, let's put it this way. How many people here likes to be warned about something that could be um, detrimental to your body. You know, if you're walking down an a aisle in a, soup, in a store and someone spilled something, there's a bunch of liquid, you, want to, you like to have a sign, be warned, be careful where you step so, if you don't, so you don't slip. Or if you're driving down the highway in the middle of the night, um, most of us would be kind of upset if we run into a pile of dirt or run in, or dive down into a pit because someone dug a hole during construction on a highway. For the most part, we like to be warned about things, right? 
Warnings are very important. Um, we see a lot of types of different warnings, and watchmen are supposed to be warning us of things. In the military, military is really known with the watchmen. Um, I know when I was in, in, in the military, when I was in basic training, you know, every night, every, the, the watch changed. For me, it was every two hours, so someone else was doing a watch. Um, if you're in the Navy, Navy really uses a lot about this with the watchmen. You know, they, they put someone on the certain parts of the, di the, the ship, <clears throat> and they're watching out thing for things. Because if there's an impending danger, you need to let people know. Most of the time, we like to be told if there's an impending danger coming upon us. I don't know about you. I don't like to want to have to worry about, you know, losing life, limb, or, you know, <laughs> sanity maybe. Um, but most of us, I think, would agree that we want to be warned about something that's going to be happening. And if we're not warned, we get kind of upset about that. Um, how many, this is, this is where the, the message is going to be a little different. How many people here are his, his, history buffs? A good amount of you. Not a lot of them. Not a lot of people like history. Me, I like to learn new things. And uh, I have a, the guy I work with, he, he worked in the weather. And a lot of times I'll talk to him, he'll explain how the weather works here and stuff like that. I like list, learning things. I like history channel. I like learning about different things, going to historical sites, forts, whatever, and learn what's going on, how people live, how pe this worked and how that worked and all that stuff. And what I want to do is take us back in history and talk about something historical. And I want to try to use this historical situation and bring out a spiritual concept in it, out of it. Um, how many here know of a ship named the Titanic? It's pretty much a, sh a ship that people most now, if you're really young, you might know, although there's some young ones here that raised their hand. The Titanic. Um, I want to use that basically in this, in this booklet, there's a little reference, there's a reference about Titanic. And when I read it, it sparked some interest in me. So my type of personality, I'm like, I need to go learn and research and figure out some stuff in it. And what, what, what I read, I'm going to read to you, but a little bit later. I need to set the stage, if I can, with, uh, with this. The and I want to just talk a little bit, give me about 10 some minutes or whatever, to talk about some historical things about this. Um, if you fall asleep because it's history, okay, but just wake up later on, as Pastor would say. <clears throat> um, this ship was a huge ship at that time. I mean, I think we have bigger ships now than we did back then. I mean, with aircraft carriers and some of the, the, the cruise lines that are out there and stuff like that. <clears throat> but this ship was uh, started, their construction was started in 1909 by the White um, Star Line. Um, just like we had today, they had competition back there. And the people who wanted to build this wanted to build the biggest ship, the fastest ship they could, and the most opulent ship that there was. This ship, like I said, was huge. I, I, I can't even remember how many tons it is. I should have wrote it down. But it, this thing was huge. I mean, there was three propellers on this ship. 
There's two side ones and a center one. The center one was 25 tons itself, just a propeller. The other two propellers were 35 tons each. They had boilers that were huge. I mean, it would probably, I mean, be about halfway as high as this, this, this room is. Uh, just as round, and they had like several of them in there, and they put a, and that's how they, they did it, that's how they got the propulsion, they threw coal in there, and they burned it, and created steam, and made the, the propellers move, I mean, when I was looking at this, it just, you wonder, how can something like this even float on the water, it's so heavy, it's just crazy, it was about uh, a little less than 900 feet long, it's just, it's about 300, three, about 300 feet shorter than the Empire State Building is, if it was sitting from its edge on up. They say it was about like four city blocks. It's like this long, huge, tall, and uh, it was made in, with a revolutionary type of uh, making in, at that time. The steel was a whole lot better at that time. And even when the, what was interesting about the ship and what led to the idea of it being unsinkable was that it had 15 to 16 watertight compartments in it. So what would happen if something were to hit it, if it collided with another ship or collided with whatever, if it poked a hole in one or two of those, it could fill up with water, but the ship could still stay afloat. Um, the problem with that, two things. They said that if four of those air compartments, rooms, Filled up, filled up with water, that it can still stay afloat. If it got anything more like five or more, then they're going to have a problem. The funny thing about these uh, the compartments, and it's amazing how much technology they were still there at that time in the, in the early 1900s. These walls had doors that were able to close, watertight doors. You can either close them physically, or you can actually do it electronically, electrically. And even in that time, they could even close it with sending an electronic pulse or signal from the, from, uh, the place where they had the steering wheel. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. I'm sorry, the bridge. Yeah, the bridge. <laughs> sorry. Um, so they had a button. So they had to. They can close those doors, and they were closed really fast, so water would stop going. The only problem was, and I never understood what they, why they thought this was good, the walls only went up to the water line, which means that when you have the ship, there's a whole lot of ship that goes underneath, and there's a whole lot of ship that's above. That point where that ship is kind of floating in the water is the water line. So that the walls were made to that point, so they weren't that much higher than what the surface of the water would be on the, on the ship. I never, I didn't think that was so revolutionary. I mean, I would think you would want to put the walls all the way to the top. But when we get into it, there is reasons why they thought about this. Very opulent. Very, there was three classes, first, second, and third class. They said it was so ritzy and opulent on that that the third class um, quarters and restaurants were, were so... Um, Fancy, they were more fancy than what the people came from where their own houses were. I mean, it was very rich and stuff like that. And uh, it was one of the fastest things. And they were trying to compete with other, other, another, other um, uh, ship lines, ocean lines and stuff like that. 
So you kind of get an idea. If you ever watch the shows or whatever, you know the ship is huge. Um, but was it unsinkable? Well, history tells us that obviously it's not. But where did that come from? They say, when I did the, some research, they said that they never um, advertised the ship as be unsinkable. But because of the technology and these walls and stuff like that and how they explained it, they said it was almost or pretty close to being unsinkable. And then you would hear the news media, and they would kind of put a, their twist on it, and people thought it was unsinkable. They would take it and say, oh, this ship's unsinkable. And the idea that someone said that God couldn't even sink the ship, supposedly it came from one of the crewmen that were there right before, they, before the ship went out. And, uh, huh? Yeah. Someone was a little bit nervous about going on uh, the ship because she's heard about these ships sinking and stuff like that. And she said, this pastor said, well, is this a safe ship? And this guy said, this ship is so safe and unsinkable, God can't even sink this ship. That was the wrong thing for him to say. Um, but the reason, and I'm just giving, I'm sorry, I hope I'm not boring you too much, but the reason why they considered this ship was unsinkable is because of these compartments. If it got in a situation where it struck another ran into another ship or whatever, they believed that the compartments would be contained in such a fashion and so quickly that even if it was that bad, it would sink, but it would take a very long time for it to sink. So by time it would get to the point where it's sinking, you can get everybody off onto the lifeboats or someone, another ship would come in and they can start transferring or ferrying uh, survivors to the other boat because they would have a, a good amount of time before this ship would sink because of the design of the ship. Well, what sunk the ship? Most people say it was an iceberg. Well, when I did my study, there was a compilation of a lot of facts and a lot of things that caused the ship to sink. One is that there was a fire on board the ship in the boiler room. It started when it's, the fire supposedly started in the boiler room when they started the voyage, when they were going to different places in, in, the, in Ireland and England and France, picking up some passengers. They, they had it. But see, they didn't really worry too much about it because it wasn't uncommon during that time during these ships to have some coal fires. You can actually kind of deal with it and work with it. And even if you're going across the, the, the ocean, it's actually, they say, that it was kind of fine. So they weren't really worried about it. The problem is this fire kept on raging through their trip. And some people are saying now that this fire could have weakened the steel that, was on, that the ship was made of. And then when it came, now, when they did their travel and they started out, it, took, it, took, it would take about six days for them to get across the Atlantic. And uh, it was a beautiful night. There was no weather. There was no storms going on. They said this, the, this sea was as smooth as glass. The problem is there was no, no moon, so it was kind of hard to see at night. The problem is in that night, when they started getting into the waters closer to Newfoundland, Newfoundland, it got really cold, and the water got below freezing. So they also think that that um, worked on the fragileness of 
to steal. And let me just hurry up on some of this stuff. Um, the rivets they said they used. They started using steel rivets, but they also, started, they also used iron rivets. They used the steel rivets in the middle of the ship on the hull and stuff where there was a lot of pressure and a lot of strength, but they still used iron rivets, they said, in the bow, the front of the ship, and then after the ship. So what happened is what they, when it finally, when it actually hit the iceberg, because the metal was already um, tested with the fire, the cold, and all that stuff, when that ice hit it and the the, the steel was brittle, it popped those iron rivets out just like that with no problem. And when it went alongside the iceberg, it just ripped the gash in it. So yes, it had a lot to do with the iceberg, but it's just all these other little things. When it hit, it hit not four compartments, but five of those compartments. So already after it hit, it was compromised. All that technology about the watertight system already went down the drain. I didn't attend that. But that water started filling really fast, and not only did it hit that fifth one, it was already filling the sixth compartment. So what it was already doing was taking the bow of the ship, and it was already listing really, really fast. It didn't take long. It only took less than three hours for the ship to sink, totally. Um, so with, the, with how the ship was made, there's a lot of things that how the ship was made was a cause of it. Um, there was a... a uh, set of binoculars supposedly on the ship which would have came in handy for the watchman uh, but the problem was is the, the binoculars were locked into a room and they didn't have the key because the person who was in charge of that room was, station, was transferred to another ship and they say he forgot to keep the keys over there so they never were supposedly never was able to get in there to get the binoculars which they might have been able to see the icebergs Iceberg. Um, the other thing was, they say, was the speed of the ship. It was about going about 22 knots, which I think anyone in here that knows nautical things, um, knots, I think, is like 27 miles per hour or 26 miles per hour. I don't know. Don't hold, my, hold me to that. But they say that it was going too fast. Now, there's two reasons for that. One, they said that because it was a new one that the captain wanted to make a show of how good his, his ship is. He wanted to get to New York at least a day beforehand. He wanted to say, hey, look at this ship, you know, that's what he cared about. And there's, there's rumors about that. But the other thing they're saying is because of that fire, the quicker the, and the faster that ship was, was going, the more coal it was using up. So this is a coal fire. So if they can use that coal up, they might be able to con contain that fire. But they also knew that the fact that they were ready to already, they, they already announced that when they got into New York Harbor, the, the fire boats were ready to come over because that fire was this, this big. So that's just a little bit of history. I hope I didn't bore you too much. But I want to tell you, well, we can sit here and say, well, it's the binoculars, it was the iceberg, it was this or that. But I want to tell you or show you what I really think what sunk this ship other than God. And this is where this comes in. 
It's very interesting. And I hope to be able to make that spiritual concept here for you tonight. This is going to take a little bit to read, so bear with me. <clears throat> At 1.30 on the afternoon of April 11, 1912, Titanic departed what was to be her final port of call and steamed steadily toward her date with destiny. As she sailed away, Reverend Brown took one last photo of her. Titanic encountered no rough seas and no bad weather during the vo voyage, and passengers quickly settled into the shipboard routines. On April 12th, around sunset, Titanic received the first warning. Keep an ear on that word right there, warning, of danger ahead. The French liner La Tourine, Terrain sent a wireless message reporting ice ahead. The message was given to Captain Smith, who gave it to 4th Officer Boxhall. Boxhall noted the position on the map in Titanic's chart room. It was more than 1,000 miles away and to the north of Titanic's course. So at this point, they didn't seem to worry about it because it was way off course. Late on the evening of April 13th, the second day, the furnace with the um, line of Rappahannock, which was eastbound from Halifax to London, which means they were coming and they were going to be crossing. They're coming from east over to London. Passed, with single, passed within singling distance of Titanic and warned by single lamp of heavy pack ice ahead. Rappahannock also reported that she had dented her bow and twisted her rudder with the encounter with the ice. Titanic received a total of six separate ice warnings on April 14th. The first coming at 9 a.m. from the Cunard liner Coronia. The message reported bergs, growlers, and field ice at 42 degrees north and from 49 degrees to 51 degrees west. The second warning came at 11.40 a.m. from the Dutch liner Nordam, who reported much ice in roughly the same position. At 1.42 p.m., the third warning of the day came from the White Star Liner Baltic. The message reported icebergs and large quantity of field ice in 41 degrees, 51 minutes north, 49 degrees, 9 minutes west. Um, this warning placed the ice only, now it's only 250 miles ahead of Titanic's position. And remember, they're going about 22 knots at this point still. At 1.45 p.m., just minutes after the warning from Baltic, the day's fourth warning was received from the German liner America that reported passing two icebergs at 41 degrees, 21 minutes north, 50 degrees, 8 minutes west. This message was not actually intended for Titanic. It was addressed to the U.S. Hydrographic Office in Washington. This was not within the range of America's own wires, so Titanic related the message. Now, Titanic, because of all these tech, highly tech, had the, the most technological um, telegraph system on, on ship. It was very strong, it was powerful, it was better, it was one of the better ones at that time. And they were taking in a lot of telegraphs from uh, personal telegraphs from, from people from London and different areas like that at the same time. So they, weren't to, they were supposed to relay the message. The fifth warning was received at 7.30 p.m. from the Leland liner, California. 
She reported her precision as 42 degrees, three minutes north, nine, 49 degrees, nine degree, minutes west, and reported three large bergs five miles to southward of us, only 50 miles ahead of Titanic's current position. Still going 22 miles per hour, uh, knots per hour, 22 knots. The sixth and final warning came at 9.40 p.m. from the Atlantic Transport Liner Masaba. Reported latitude 42 degrees north to 41 degrees, 21, 24 minutes north. On the two, 40 degrees to 50 degrees, 30 minutes west. Saw much heavy pack ice and great number of large icebergs, also field ice. Had anyone checked, they would have discovered that this last message described a rectangle that Titanic had already passed into. The Titanic was already in dangerous waters in the danger zone before they hit this iceberg. Altogether, the ice, six ice warnings received on April 14th described an area of ice 78 miles long. Unfortunately, there is doubt that whether the messages were ever delivered to the bridge or plotted on the chart room map. Apparently, since no one seems to have made the connection, no one ever did it. It's interesting in reading this account of the Titanic that there were numerous attempts to warn the ship of danger ahead, but for some reason, the information was ignored. There was such a great loss of life and possessions. The ship had over close to 2,500 people on board. Only a little bit more than 700 people survived. And why did it go down? The controversy is still there, but let me tell you, if they didn't heed the warnings. Now listen. This is where I want to try to get the spiritual context out of this. Before I get into it, they had the lifeboats, and at that time, they had the amount of lifeboats they needed that they could get people on by law, even though they didn't have a lot to take everyone. But remember, when I was talking about earlier, they were thinking that the ship was going to stay afloat long enough they can still get everybody out. That night, that day on April 14th, they were supposed to have some training on the lifeboats, but they decided for some reason to cancel it that day. So they didn't really know how to operate and how to do it all in a cohesive fashion without confusion, which did take place. When they did use the lifeboats, they didn't use the lifeboats to capacity. They could hold 68 to 70-some people, and many of them only had 20-some people in them. But if they heeded the warnings and took action, slowed up, changed course, whatever it would be, the Titanic could have made it to New York. You know what? We as Christians, as people, our lives are just like the Titanic. We're living our lives the way we want to, going where we want to, how we want to do it. And we have the warnings out there, but we ignore warnings that God has given us. We just keep on going at our own speed, not caring. Everything's fine. 
until we hit that iceberg. And then we start sinking. Our lives starts going down, and we wonder what is going on. God has sent the warnings, but we didn't heed them. If you go to Deuteronomy... Chapter 28, verse 1. It says, And it shall come to pass that thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. He says if we would hearken diligently, heed is another word. It's paying attention to what God has to say to us. And God has a bunch of warnings he's given us through his word. He's warned us about many things. And if we were to hearken, observe, and to do his warnings, we're going to be blessed. We're going to have okay. I mean, the travel is going to be fine. We're not going to, I mean, we're not, we're going to have troubles and stuff like that. Yes, but, but in verse 15, he says, But if shall come to pass that thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And you read these verses, you'll see all the curses that's true. Listen, God gives us warnings. But are we going to listen to them? Are we going to heed them? He gave the, the children of Israel, his children, multitude of warnings about how they were living, what's going on. Warnings about the judging that was coming. Warning about the captivity that was going to happen because of the way they lived. He sent the watchmen who gave the warnings. And they disregarded the warnings. But it's not any different today. God is sending us warnings and are we heeding them? We want to say, yes, I am, but are we really? God gives us many warnings. You know, he warns us about not having our, our name in the book of life. You know, if, we're, if our name's not found in the book of life, we're going to spend eternity in hell with, with the devil in a place that was created for him. If we're not saved, we're going to hell. Our sins are going to take us there. But he gave us warnings about that. And he also gave us a way to take care of that. He sent his son to die on the cross for us, to pay for our sins. If you're here today... And you're not saved. You're just, you're, you're as doomed as that Titanic is. You might think life's okay. But you're going to hit the iceberg and it's going to take you down. And if you don't have your life taken care of, you don't have your heart set right and are saved, you're going to go to hell. That's a warning straight from God, not from me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall what? Be saved. That's the warning. And the promise. If Titanic listened to the, the warnings, they would have been saved. God gives us warnings about sin in our life. What sin does to our life. How it destroys our life. How it messes up our life. How we should stay away from sin and why we should stay away from sin. Do we listen to the warnings? 
We go about our lives thinking, oh, everything's okay. It's just a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And then we wonder why when the iceberg comes and we got hit and, and, and things are coming in our life, it's because we didn't heed the warnings. We, he, he got warnings in our relationship with other people. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but we can spend several Christ Sunday schools just talking about the warnings God has given to us in his word. What he warns us about this and that and here and this, our relationship with us. He warns us about things in our parent, parent and child-parent relationships. He gives us warnings about our marital relationships, things to keep out of your marriage that can destroy your marriage. He, it's all here. But do we heed it? Do we read it? Do we take it seriously? You know, like I said earlier, most of the time we want to be warned if something's going to hurt us or, or, or affect our lives in a way that we're going to, we might, you know, even die or whatever. But it seems like when it comes to warning to tell us how we need to live and how to live right, we don't want those warnings. Stop, don't tell me about that. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. Don't warn me that if I go here, this is going to happen. Don't warn me if I do this or watch this or dress like this or do whatever it is. Don't tell me that warning. Because I want that in my life. He still sends people to warn us. Pastors. I remember this man up here many times. Giving warnings. Saying, you know what? I can look at a person, I can look at that person's life, and if they're going a certain way, I can warn them and say, don't do this. Don't go this way, because I know where it's going to go. Pastors, pastor first. Brother Jones, how many times have you seen it or told people or warned people, and they did not heed the warnings? We don't want to hear the warnings. Oh, come to church. Here you go. The pastor's going off on his hobby horse or whatever it is about this or that. What he's trying to do is warn us. And that's what God called him to do, to be the watchman, to warn us. Why do some churches fall? Because they didn't heed the warnings. Why do families break up? Why do certain things happen? Because we haven't heeded the warnings. Young ones, not young ones, but teenagers. Just give me your attention real fast. You might sit there and you go, oh, there goes mom and dad, tell me about this again. Don't go drinking, don't go doing this, don't go watching this, don't dress like this, don't hang around these type of people. Why do they got to keep on bothering me about this? Why? Because they've seen things. We've seen things. The watchmen have saw things. The pastors have seen things. Other Christians have seen things, and we're warning you, don't go that way. It's only going to lead you to the wrong path. It's only going to lead you to that iceberg. It's only going to lead to disaster. Some of us know that because of personal experience. I know what it's like because I've been there, and I don't want you to go there. Some of it, like pastor and others, they've seen what has happened to other people. Yeah. Are we heeding the warnings God has given to us? 
And it's for anybody. It's not just for young people or middle-aged people. It's even for older people. We all need warnings about things. We need those warnings. The warnings are there to help us out, to protect us. In Colossians, you don't have to go there. I want to close with this. Paul's talking, writing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Wherever, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Why is there pastors? Why is there missionaries? Why are there some? They're, not only are they going to give the gospel out, but they're warning people. They're warning other Christians how to live so they can be presented to Christ. What's it say here? Every man perfect, perfect, present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. One of the things that the man of God does, other than giving the gospel, is to try to teach us the right way to live. And when he's up here preaching from God's word, he's just relaying the warnings God has for us. Now, the thing is, it's up to us whether we want to heed those warnings. We can talk to our kids to they're blue in the face about this, this, and this, how to dress, why not dress, why not, why don't we dress this way, why don't we watch these type of movies, why don't we go to these different places. We can say it's going to be, it's going to have to come from their hearts. Same thing for all of us. There are many adults that come to a, a service to sit down and get, get bothered because they hear the preacher preaching warnings to them, and they just don't want to hear it. Are, you, are we heeding the warnings that God has given to us? They're right here. We need to spend time in his word and learn what they are. Let's stand and with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.